Church families, we continue to worship this morning. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Philippians, specifically Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Amazon annually releases the most highlighted passages in their Kindle ebook format. So there are a lot of familiar books that you would you would think be in the top ten most highlighted passages. So you've got passages from the Hunger Games and passages from the Harry Potter series. You've got passages from classics. I mean, Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, always shows up with a passage that's highlighted. Also, the Bible, not surprising to us, would show up in the list of the most highlighted passages and uh, the Kindle e-reader. And but but what might be surprising to you and to me is the passage that. This last year, it wasn't John 3.16. You think maybe it's the 23rd Psalm? No. You think maybe the Lord's Prayer? No. Do you know the most highlighted passage this past year, according to Amazon in their Kindle e-reader, was the passage that you find in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It's a less prominent text, but it is a text that resounds with relevance for the day and age that we live in. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's no shortage of things to worry about today, is there? I mean, there, there's, no, there's no shortage of, of things that keep you up at night or make you in the midst of stress and anxiety short with a spouse or with your kids. There are a lot of physical manifestations that come with anxiety and worry. And worry and anxiety have always been a part of life here on earth. Uh, if you have family, if you have a job, if you are living and breathing, there, there is going to be the temptation to, to be choked by the worries of life. There is something unique about this age that we live in, an age of anxiety. You, you take the normal worries that have concerned us around life and death, sickness and wellness, financial stability, and you add to this the last 18 months of the uncertainty that the COVID pandemic has brought, and we are living in a, an age that is riddled with anxiety. So maybe it's not that surprising that when people are reading the Bible and their Kindles, that it would be these two verses that they would pause to highlight. Notice in these two passages of Scripture that we see the root of our worry. Do you know what the root of our worry is? It's, it's always a trust issue. It's easy for us to, to want to push away from this, but the root of our worry is always connected to a trust in God or a lack of trust in God. It really is surprising to us that Paul would write these words, especially when you think about what he is going through and experiencing when he writes these words. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but if you're following along at home, there's a lot for Paul to be anxious about. He, he's writing these words from a Roman prison, surrounded by guards. A, a guard would be stationed with him 24-7. That, that's reason enough to worry. Uh, there, there's reason to worry. He doesn't know if he's going to get out of prison alive or not. That's, that's reason to worry. 
More than that, they're false teachers in chapter 3 of Philippians that have infiltrated the church. He has to warn the people that he loves at the church of Philippi to not, to not fall prey to. That's enough to keep him up at night, biting his fingernails. But right before this passage here, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, we have even more specificity of, of another thing to worry about. That's the very unity of the church. He writes in chapter two or chapter 4, verse 2, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know a lot about the details of this passage here. Who are Eudia and Syntica? They're common names in that Greco-Roman age, but that's about all we know. We know they're co-laborers with the Apostle Paul, so there's a prominence to their ministry along with Paul, along with Clement, along with the establishment of those who would establish the church at Philippi. There is something that they're disagreeing about that, that is so known and has caused such a rift that the very future of the church at Philippi, the very unity of the body of Christ, is threatened by their lack of reconciliation. Enough so that Paul, when he's coming to the end of his letter, would say, oh yeah, Judea, Syntyche, in the Lord, agree together. Paul, very likely, is a bit skeptical of their ability to come to a human reconciliation, so much so that he, he appoints his, notice in this passage here, his true companion to help them. So sometimes our rifts are, are so pronounced here on earth, we, we need a mediator, we, we need a, a, a human woman or man to be able to help us hear one another better, to agree with one another, and so Paul is saying, yeah, that true companion, who is the true companion? Again, we don't know. A lot of question marks here. F.F. F. Bruce, famous New Testament scholar, says maybe it's Luke. We have Peter O'Brien, another great New Testament scholar that says it's Silas. You know who it is? I don't know. No one really knows. We can just conjecture and guess, but it doesn't matter. Here we have the Apostle Paul who is writing for us to not be anxious about anything, but it's in the context of him being in prison, in the context of real disagreement in the church, and the very future of the church that he loves is threatened by this disagreement. And while we might have a lot of, of question marks about all of the details of what's going on in this passage, this is not a question mark. And that is a takeaway that we have in any age that we live in when there's disagreement. It's a sidebar. I'll get back to the anxiety theme in just a second here. But, but hear this. The will of God for Christians, the will of God for Christians who are at odds with one another, the will of God for Christians who are at odds with one another is always to lean into and pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. The, the will of God for all the Judeas and Syntychas that have come afterwards, you and me, we, every Christian who is a sinner saved by grace, there are going to be times where we just do not see eye to eye with fellow believers. And the will of God is always for us to pursue reconciliation and to pursue forgiveness. But you say, David, if you, if you only knew what separates us here, our politics have, have, have caused this rift that is insurmountable. Our positions on, on COVID vaccinations or the protocols of masks, it's insurmountable. 
the words that have been said, the actions that have been done, there is no going back to a unity here. And I'm here just to remind you that our agreement is in the Lord. Our agreement is in what Christ has done for us. There are going to be positions we do not see eye to eye with, with other Christians. There are going to be times where we do not understand. But if our home base is Christ Jesus, and if our home base is what he has done, what we as Christians share together as brothers and sisters in Christ is always far greater than what divides us in the world. Let me say that again. What we as Christians share together as brothers and sisters is far greater than anything that divides us in the world. Do you actually believe that? We're being tested. Paul was worried. There was anxiety that I'm sure he feels in, in light of Judea and Syntyche not agreeing in the Lord. He calls upon his true companion, but in light of, of what could be a, a, a time of anxiety that just riddles him and exasperates him, he does not throw up his hands and say, well, what's the big deal? Who, who can even worry with any of these things here? No, what does he say? He says in our passage here, don't be anxious about anything. Boy, there are no disclaimers to this. There, there's no footnote. Well, actually, if there's something that's this, this, and this, it's actually an exception to anything. Don't be anxious about anything. That word anxious in the original language of the New Testament, it comes with this vivid imagery. It means do not be pulled apart by the cares and the concerns of the world. In, in the English language, we, we have the word worry. Don't be worried, pulled apart. Do you know, in the English language, worry comes from an old English word that actually means to be choked, to be strangled. And these images help us because you know this, when, when, when we give ourselves to worry, when we give ourselves to anxiety, and it just runs amok in our lives, what does it do? It chokes our soul. It chokes the joy out of life. It strangles, it strangles us, and it has, it has not just an emotional effect upon us, but it also has a, a physical effect on us. All of us, to, to varying degrees, can testify to the choking nature of worry and anxiety. But Paul says, do not be choked by the concerns of this world. Do not be pulled apart by the concerns of this world. He might as well say, hey, you remember what Jesus said? Do that. You remember what Jesus said, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he comes to this very theme. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Go to verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little, O you of little faith? Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Well, why, Jesus? Why not be anxious about tomorrow? Well, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry is about trust. Worry is always connected to trust. Do we trust that God keeps his word? Do we trust that God will provide for our needs? 
Do we trust that God is good? Do we trust that God has promised to not leave us nor forsake us? Do we trust that God doesn't lie? Do we trust that God is in control? Now, if we answer to all of those questions, yes, well, that doesn't mean that we have this force field of immunity from the concerns and the cares of this world. Of course, they're before us. But what gets preeminence isn't the cares and the concerns. This doesn't mean that we have a stiff upper lip. This doesn't mean that we have this Pollyannish sort of stoicism that we go through this world and we're unfazed by everything that comes. No, we feel it. We're concerned about it. Prudence, planning, all of this, thinking through carefully, talking it through, all of those things are needed as faithful Christians in our day. But ultimately, the the question is, what do we trust in more, Christ or our circumstances? What do we trust in more, the the goodness of God in all of our situations or, or what seems to be just endless questions in all of our situations here? I hope you know that God is not worried about your worries. And what do I mean by that? Do you know what can happen sometimes when, when you share your worries with others? They just, it just breeds more worry sometimes. Now, we need, to, we need to cast our cares upon God, and we need to talk to it with others. But sometimes, I've noticed this, that sometimes people, in their effort to help, they, they end up taking on your worry. And, and, and what happens is, is the worries just exponentially grow. And everybody's just worried, and it's just it's like a frenzy of worry. That can happen at times. Do you know who is unfazed by our worries? That is God, and that's good news. That God never stays up late at night biting his fingernails about what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. That's good news. That God never wakes up and reads the, the morning paper and says, Oh, my word, I had no idea this was going to happen in Birmingham, Alabama in 2021. Who, he doesn't say, hey, get, get the angel in here who let this happen. God is unfazed by our worries, not in the sense that he doesn't care, but he is a God who is all-sufficient and he's sovereign. And this is good news that when we walk through life and we have nothing but question marks, and when we walk through life and there seems to be that every uh, step we take is just littered with uncertainty, that God is certain and that God is sure. This is good news. Will you trust him no matter your circumstances, no matter your situation? The root of our worry is trust. The antidote to our worry is prayer. I love that, that Paul and, and Jesus too, they, they don't just leave us and just trust me. They, they give us an, an antidote, a, a solution to our worry. How do we live through our anxiety? How we live in the midst of our worries, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. If you write in your Bibles, which I encourage you to do, I encourage you to underline and circle and star and exclamation point. I mean, uh, draw, draw, draw through the Bible. Connect the dots. This is a place where, where I, w- I want to circle. Do not be anxious. I want to circle anything. I, I just want to put, do not be anxious. I'm going to circle that anything. And I'm going to draw a line and circle in everything by prayer. So that anything that we would be anxious about is the everything that we get on our knees and talk to God about. Do you know in the original language of the New Testament what everything means? It means everything, right? <laughs> can, can we follow that? That everything means everything. So if you're here and you're anxious about whether you're going to make the team or not, get on your knees and talk to God about that. 
If you're here and you're anxious and worried about the merger at work, that this is an invitation to talk to God about it. If you're here this morning and, and, and you're worried about a family situation, a prodigal son or a prodigal granddaughter who you're wondering if they're ever going to come home, it is an invitation to talk to God about it. If you're here this morning and there's financial uncertainty before you, it is an invitation to talk to God about it. If you're here this morning and there's a coolness in your relationship with your spouse, it is an invitation to talk to God about it. If you're here this morning, there's a diagnosis that is uncertain before you. It is an invitation to talk to God, uh, uh, to talk to God about it. If you are here this morning and, and you're wondering and you're, you're worrying about a, an infinite myriad of problems that are before you that, that you wonder, do I have any control over any of these things? And you're, you're holding on to this, wondering, what can I do to fix this situation? It is an invitation to bow your knees before him and talk to God about it. It. The Apostle Paul, he, he has, he just, he, he litters uh, ultimately four words as an invitation, just synonym after synonym. He says, don't just pray about everything, but bring it to him in supplication with thanksgiving, making your request. Four words here that are really synonyms for one another, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and notice here, request. Each of these words gives us a little bit of nuance. Prayer is the most general. It's 30,000 feet. Just talk to God about it. Supplication, it means in its root, if you lack something. So if you lack knowledge, talk to God about it. If you lack the resources, talk to God about it. If in, in any aspect of your life, when you lack energy, you lack the knowledge, talk to God about it. This is what supplication means. With thanksgiving. It's an invitation to be reminded, even in the midst of our worry and our anxiety, we come to God as children of the Most High King. So we're not, we're not abandoned. We are His. And He's inviting us to talk to Him about it. He invites us to bring our requests. This is the specificity of it. Prayer is never intended to be in the, in the clouds at 35,000 feet of generality. He calls us to land the plane. And talk to God about the little things of life. Do you, do you know the wonderful truth here this morning? That when you talk to God, there, is, there, there isn't anything that is too big for our God to handle. And there is nothing too small for Him to care about. There isn't anything that is too big for our God to handle. And there is nothing too small for our God to be concerned about. I love John Newton, the great hymn writer. When, when he would reflect upon this very theme, he says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. You hear me? None of us can ever overwhelm God with our worries. None of us can ever annoy God with the pettiness of our concerns. If it concerns you, it's an invitation to talk to God about it. I think prayer, especially when it's connected to anxiety and worry, it is the de-weeding of our spiritual soul. There are weeds that grow up in our soul that ultimately choke us and choke joy and abundance out. And when we talk to God, you know what we're doing? We're on our knees and we're pulling out weeds. And you know this. I mean, if you're a gardener here, if you're, if you're working in your yard, uh, when, when the spring comes, you know that weeds, what? They, they grow up, don't they? They grow up. You, you pull them one day, the next week they're right back there, and we're back on our knees, and what are we doing? We're, we're de-weeding the flower bed of our soul. And we do that in prayer. 
And we do that with the invitation of our God that we never annoy him by knocking on his door. We never overwhelm him by knocking on his door. We never, we never uh, come to that place where he says, you again? Really? I've got, I've got the whole universe to care for. Do you know how many billions of people live here? You again? No. This last week, Danielle and I, we went to uh, the Cove. Do you know where the Cove is? The Cove is in Asheville, North Carolina. There's a pastor and spouses retreat that we uh, drove up to. Absolutely beautiful. We've never, never been in the Asheville area, going with the Blue Ridge Trail there, or the uh, Parkway, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and the Christmas and the colors and the beauty of the fall there. It was just, just a wonderful few days that we had singing together with pastors across the country, hearing uh, the Word of God taught. It was a, a immensely refreshing time. Uh, for Danielle and, 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 and myself there as we were worshiping together and just had that time together. The Cove was founded by Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth Bell Graham. And many of you know uh, the history of that. About 20 or 30 years ago, they founded this, this retreat center right there outside of Asheville. And it gave me, being there for the first time, it gave me a little bit of time to just sort of pause and be reminded, because you have pictures of Dr. Graham and his ministry uh, littered throughout the whole campus. And, and I just remember being a 15, 16-year-old young Christian and just the absolute impact and influence that Billy Graham had upon my life. Probably the first Christian book that I remember reading was going to my great aunt's house around Thanksgiving or Christmas, and she had that angel's book written by Billy Graham. I took that home, and, and I, that was really some of the first Christian literature that I ever read. When I was called to the ministry, I would watch Billy Graham preach. And so if you heard me as a 16-year-old giving an FCA sermon, talk, testimony, you, you would hear plagiarized Billy Graham sermons is what you would hear. <laughs> But I just, I didn't know how to preach. I was just cutting my teeth. I knew he did. And so, so I'd watch him and I was just so inspired by his ministry and the fervency of prayer and evangelism and the faithful legs of perseverance of his ministry in the midst of so many scandals that just rocked the, the Christian world. The, uh, the, the Dr. Graham and the faithfulness of his ministry was just so inspiring. I was a senior in high school and for Christmas I received Just As I Am, that autobiography, and it was hundreds of pages and I just ate it up. Just so inspired by his ministry, so much so that right before I went off to college, uh, my senior year, I wrote Billy Graham a letter. I mean, I knew I was called to the ministry, and I thought, who better to, to ask, what do I need to major in? What do I not need to major in? What do I need to, uh, where do I need to work and serve and all this? Kind of, so I asked all these questions and mailed it off to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Six weeks later, I go to the mailbox at 106 Elgin Place, I open it up, and there is a letter, return address, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I kind of run into the house. My mom says, who sent you a letter? And I was like, oh, nobody real big, just Billy Graham. And so I opened up the letter, and it was a two-page handwritten letter, and just wonderful advice was filled in that letter, advice about being a person of prayer being a person that's committed to the Word of God, that no matter what I majored in, to, to give myself fully to my studies and to honor God, not only with, with my heart, but also with my mind, that kind of information. Get plugged into a church, serve in that church. Don't just sit in the background, whether you're in college or whether you're in seminary. That's the kind of advice that you were getting to. At the very end of the letter, it said, Sincerely, God bless Bill Smith, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association student intern. <laughs> 
Now listen, I, 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 knew, I knew really when I went to the mailbox that it, surely Billy Graham is not writing David Eldridge back a letter. Hundreds of thousands of people write him letters. Hundreds of thousands of people have been impacted by his ministry. I knew, but there was a tinge of disappointment. I would love at the age of 42 to tell you the story that here's Billy Graham's letter right here, and he wrote me this. But hey, I, he's one person. He, he doesn't have the time. It's not a good use of his time, not a good stewardship of his time, not a good stewardship of his energy for him to be sitting behind a desk uh, responding to the letters of every 16 or 17-year-old or 37-year-old or 77-year-old. We get that because he's one human who is limited in capacity. But in contrast to one human is the infinite God. And it is staggering for us to reflect upon this truth that every one of us that are here that are followers of him and every human that is living here, the billions upon billions of people, if we paused all at the same time and prayed for the same length and amount of time, God never has a busy signal to those prayers. He is never overwhelmed by the volume. We, we don't call into God in prayer and, they, and he has to say, sorry, the, the load of volume is such that we'll get to you. Here's the callback number that you can call to. It just never happens with God that he is infinite and omniscient and I'm, uh, I'm uh, all-powerful in every way and that he hears our prayers is a wonderful comfort to all of us that are here today. So don't hesitate to talk to God about whatever concerns you. Don't hold that back. He desires to hear from you. He welcomes you to approach his throne of grace and to receive mercy and help in your time of need. So the root of our worry, it's a trust issue. The antidote to our worry is prayer. And finally, the fruit of our prayer is peace. And, and if, there's a, if there's a verse that you can just pull out and hang up, and put it in your vehicle, and, and as you're shaving in the morning, to be able to look at it. But this is a, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God Himself is the very source of peace. His Son, Jesus Christ, is the Prince of Peace. So the peace that we are receiving from God is not an outsourced peace, it is the very essence and character of Him who is peace, embodied in every way. So the peace that we receive is the peace from God. It's the peace that surpasses all of our understanding. And we need that. Notice that, that, that Paul doesn't say, and when you talk to God in prayer, he will change all of your circumstances and he will change all of your situations. No, he says that he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can imagine the Apostle Paul. He's writing this in a Roman prison surrounded by a Roman praetorian guard who is looking at him. Every day he sees that human guard and in this moment he is saying that no matter what comes my way, there is one more powerful than this human guard and it is the God who guards my heart and he guards my mind. When you talk to God, there's a battalion that surrounds your heart. When you talk to God in prayer, there, there's a sentry that comes around you in your mind and it guards your mind. Now that peace is in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we think in our mind that when we pray to God that he's obligated to change our circumstances and change our situations. But no, what he promises you is something far greater. That no matter your circumstances and no matter your situation, when you talk to him, he changes you no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation. That he is with you. And I know this to be true. I hope you do too. 
If you've walked with Jesus for any period of time in your life, you'll know that trials come your way. You know that tribulations come your way. They do. They will intersect your family. They will intersect your friends. And there's just something powerful about walking with people that walk through hellish experiences. And whether it's in a funeral home, picking out the casket of a loved one, or whether it's in a hospital room where they've just received a diagnosis, whether it's in a living room where they're, they're trying to, to navigate the difficulty of a situation time and time again, I've heard the powerful testimony of you, followers of Jesus, in every church I've served, every week I, I hear the stories of, of you saying, this is what has come my way. This is the uncertainty before me. This is the question marks before me. I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the understanding. But there is, there is someone who is walking with me, and I cannot explain it. I don't fully understand it. But there is a peace, peace of his presence that is walking with me in the midst of the situation. And of course we can't understand it because it's a peace that passes, surpasses all understanding. Of course we can't fully. There's no mathematical equation here that one plus one equals the, the two of, of his peace. No, it, it is a peace that surpasses our human comprehension. It surpasses our, our human circumstances. If we're left to ourselves and our limited perspective, we would say there's no hope. But you have felt it. And you've walked with him because he's walking with you in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of situations. And you say, I know he's with me even when the circumstance is dire. Even when the situation is overwhelming, there is a peace and it surpasses all understanding. And he, the Prince of Peace, is guarding my heart. I, I hope you know the source of peace. This week as you walk, I want to give you a word to walk with you. It's the word of rest. I think all of us won't rest from our worries, rest in the midst of our anxiety. Will you this week just reflect upon this word, rest? Would you, would you this week reflect upon God's good character, his trustworthy character revealed in his word? Just reflect upon his word, that he is good, he's sovereign, he's in control, even in the midst of your circumstance. Would you engage, E, God through prayer? In the midst of your worries, in the midst of your anxieties, would you just frequently bow your knee, uh, de-weeding the clutter of your soul? Asking the, the weeds to, to be removed each and every day as you come to him in prayer? Would you ask, surrender, surrender your fear and anxiety to him? Knowing that, that every day it, it, it can come back and every day we have to, we have to come before him and say, the, the fear is here, the anxiety is here, but I trust you in the midst of it. It leads to that, that last Letter T, trust. Will you trust him with your today and your tomorrows? Will you rest in him in the midst of your anxiety? And finally, a word to you here that maybe are not followers of Jesus. Because the rest that God promises is a rest that he promises to his children. A rest that he promises to those who have trusted him as Lord and Savior. Can I just speak boldly and directly to you? If you are not a follower of Jesus, if there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, you have every reason to worry. You have reason to worry 
today. And you especially have reason to worry in light of what God's word says about our eternal tomorrows. But there's a better way. To every person that is here, every person that hears my voice, every person who would turn to him and trust him, he promises to save us and to forgive us and to grant us the peace that surpasses all understanding if we would turn to him in prayer. So there is hope for all here this morning. Will you turn to him? Will you trust him? And will you allow him to walk with you in all the uncertainties of life with each step knowing that he is good and he is in control. Amen.